With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Joined, as always, on Wednesday morning by my buddy, Connor Rogers. I'm in Atlanta for Super Bowl 53. Connor's in New York, chilling and sleeping in his own bed, which I'm incredibly jealous of right now. Yeah, it's quite nice. After our week in Mobile, I think we needed it. And uh, obviously, we're here getting ready for the NFL draft. Can't wait for that. We got a lot to talk about. I know you have a lot of different reports to break down on this show. We're going to give you our prospects of the day. And if you've missed that series, it's been ongoing on Instagram. If you're a fan of all 22 and can't find the college all 22, you get a little snippet of that on the stick to football Instagram. We're going to fix the Tampa Bay bucks today. So continuing our fixing segments, hoping to get through at least, you know, maybe 15 teams this year on that. So the bucks with a new coach there have some fixing to do. And of course, we're going to answer your draft on draft questions. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, feels good to be in the swing of draft season. I know everyone right now is focused on the Super Bowl, Patriots, Rams. We're already focused on teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the news that's coming around. So definitely uh, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, on Twitter. Both are at Stick to Football. You can get a lot of information there. I did a question and answer for about 30 minutes on Monday night. I'm sure Connor and Mello will be hopping in to do their own versions of those soon, which I, I think Mello's would just be like about the office and cheese. Like, I don't know what, what I yeah, <laughs> and quarterbacks. Or the bachelor. All he would want to do is talk about quarterbacks, the bachelor, and Natty Light. But it is a lot of fun getting to interact with you guys. We definitely appreciate it. Let's get into some of the news. There was a report this week, Connor, that is I'm always surprised when things like this are announced as news. You know, like you'll see it from Roto World. Those guys do a great job. And it'll be like, report, John always in love with Drew Locke. We've been talking about this for about a month on Stick to Football. So I'm not sure why. Like, it's a bit of a surprise at this point. But it is at least getting re-churned through the news cycle. And I can tell you, I've heard the same thing, that John Elway is in love with Drew Locke. He was on the field throughout Senior Bowl practices. Uh, he was paying close attention to the quarterback drills. I like to play Where's Waldo when we're sitting up in the BR suite and look for executives and then follow them. Uh, you, you've seen me do this at games. It's one of my favorite things. And I, every time I saw John Elway, he was watching the quarterbacks every freaking time. So I think that there's a lot of smoke to this right now. And uh, like they have to hit. And I know like there's talk about Nick Foles or, or Joe Flacco. They have to hit on a young quarterback with the way that team's built, the way the salary cap structured. How are, how do you feel about Drew Locke as a potential? Like I think top ten is where this guy's going to go. Like it, I'm not going to go ahead and report he's going to go top ten. I think Mello did that two weeks ago, but I, I'm on top of this with him. I think Drew Locke goes top ten. Oh, I think he definitely does. So the Broncos followed him pretty closely throughout the season, and then obviously this picked up a lot of steam. And then you have Mobile, where John Elway is, you know, goes and watches Locke, and everything is kind of confirmed. So when something like this is being reported over and over and over again in late January, it's one of those things where you're like, is this an early smokescreen already? Like, are we really dealing with this kind of BS? So I, I asked around and I said, is this legit, or is there is this just picking up steam? Because you know, they don't want anyone to know what quarterback they're actually going to take. And I've heard it's legit. They don't care. John Elway likes Drew Locke. They've followed him closely, and they feel like he will be there at 10th overall. And if he's not, I do think we could see this team get, you know, get a little aggressive and move up to get him. So I think this is real. And I think even if it's not the Broncos, I think the Drew Locke top 10 pick thing is extremely real. Now, to answer your question, Matt, I don't agree. This is not who I would bet on. If you're John Elway, you've missed before, right? With Paxton Lynch. And I mean, the Case Keenum signing is kind of whatever. So when it comes down to it, you nailed it. You got to hit on this pick. And if you're telling me to put all my chips on Drew Locke, I'm just not comfortable doing that, especially with a top 10 selection or even worse, using more picks to go up to get him. But at the end of the day, I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I will add this on Drew Locke, and I, I have not done a, a full study. Uh, it's, it's that time of year. I, I've watched a ton of his games, uh, but I, I have a lot of other responsibilities during the season, so I don't get a chance to watch you know, every game as they happen. So I will be diving in uh, with Mello on, on Drew Locke very soon. And the one thing I will say is where the NFL is going is so much toward these trait-based quarterbacks. And Drew Locke has traits, I and mean, he absolutely does. The arm strength is notable. The athleticism is there. And I know he kind of took some heat for comparing himself to Pat Mahomes. I would never, ever make that comparison. The arm strength is similar, and the ability to throw off-platform and from various angles is similar, albeit nowhere near as refined. So I think in a copycat league, we're going to see someone like John Elway say, you know what, I'm tired of getting beat by Phillip Rivers, Derek Carr, and Pat Mahomes, three quarterbacks with very strong arms, two of which are great improvisers, Rivers and Mahomes, and he's going to go try to get his own guy. Now, where this ties in, again, to the NFL draft, there is a lot of talk right now. Everyone in the NFL feels like knows. John Elway wants Drew Locke. Guess what John Elway is going to have to do to get Drew Locke? He's going to have to trade up to get him because this news is already out there. Now, we've talked before, man. If you're the 49ers at two, and if you're the Jets at three, you're sellers in this draft class. How crazy would it be for the Broncos to get a bargain deal and a not great draft class to move up from 10 to two or three where he does have a connection? Elway has a connection to the 49ers. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach. Mike Shanahan was John Elway's head coach. Uh, you look at the New York Jets. Uh, their, their VP of personnel, Brian Heimerdinger, his dad, coach of Mike Shanahan. There's a lot of connections to those two organizations where we could see John Elway work the phones and maybe get a, a sweet deal from some friends to move up the board and get his guy. And I think that's really important to note here. I don't think this is comparable to when the Jets went from six to three last year because three put you in the range of one of Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, one of those guys where you're guaranteed somebody like that. In, in this scenario, the demand might not be there, where 10-3 to 3 might not cost you the three twos that right. the Jets not had. Like last it year. Might cost, it might co- and this is a bigger jump. This is 10-3, to 3, not 6-3, to 3, where it might cost you two twos or something along those lines. So, But if you're the Jets or the Niners at two, that's good for you. I mean, what are you really going to do at two or three? Do you think either? I don't think either the either of these teams are in play for a guy like Quinn and Williams as great as he is. I don't think they're in play because of the need there. Nick Bosa shouldn't get past one. So then you fall into the decision. Do we take Jonah Williams as a top three pick? Do we take Josh Allen, Cleveland Farrell? There's a lot of debate over that, but if you could just recoup some picks and move back a couple of spots, you're still going to get a good player. And I think especially for, and it, this isn't us being homers. We're not connecting our two favorite teams to these trade rumors. There's some no, this, logical no. connections there. But, you know, the 49ers don't have many picks in this draft, Connor. I, I believe they have six. Uh, and the Jets as well are a team that is down on draft picks. Uh, they just Totally. The due Jets to don't trades, have two. Yeah, due to trades, not a ton of draft picks. So I think those are the teams that that could benefit. And like you said, if you don't love Quentin Williams because you have – you have Leonard Williams and you have DeForest Buckner and you, you have Solomon Thomas. So you would be more keen to trade back and recoup some of these picks that you've used in years past to move around or to get, you know, your Jimmy Garoppolo's. I think it makes sense. And at 10, you could still be looking at a premier pass rusher. You could still possibly get Cleveland Farrell. You could still maybe get a Brian Burns, Montez Sweat. Like those guys are absolute fits for what both of our teams want to do. And then you're not reaching for a player or drafting a BPA. So I continue to think the Niners and Jets are going to be teams that everyone calls as the pivot spot. Last year, we knew it was the Colts. Everyone was calling the Colts as the pivot spot in the draft. I think this year it'll be teams at two and three. Now, can moving on to your New York Jets, a report came out, and I, I think some of this was just common sense, uh, but there is a report that says the Jets will not consider Kareem Hunt in free agency. And I know that you know this team better than anyone out there, and you can shed some light on the fact that we've known since Kareem Hunt became a free agent that the New York Jets were not going to be involved uh, in looking at him as a free agent. Yeah, I believe it was Manish Mehta that wrote the report. And, and the thing is with the Jets, this has kind of been uh, a thought process for a while because if you know anything about their general manager, Mike McCagnin, his wife is very involved in fighting against or raising awareness of domestic violence. So that's kind of a team protocol situation here where 
I think they have an ownership structure and they have a GM structure that tends to or always has at least stayed away from these players with a troubled past. That's not to say the Jets won't give guys second chances. If you remember, they actually helped Austin Safarian Jenkins resurrect his career after a lot of troubles with, you know, other things, DUI and, and some, you know, off fields needed some uh, mental help and all that kind of stuff. But domestic violence is something that this football team has always stayed away from under this regime. Yeah. And I, I think also, you know, that even from a football standpoint, it's not someone that they would take a look at after signing Isaiah Crowell last year. And they do have a ton of money to spend, obviously, but it seems like a team that, uh, again, with the the connections between the front office and now Adam Gase and the coaching staff, like they don't seem like the kind of team that would draft a running back super early uh, or pay big money for a running back super early because no. you have that that outside zone scheme doesn't need a star running back. You can get away with a good player that you can open up enough holes for and make him an option. Now, rolling right into this, the Kansas City Chiefs are a team that uh, we'll be picking late in the first round, and they have a need at running back. Damian Williams came in off the street and played pretty well down the stretch, but at 29th overall, there's been some questions, uh, a lot from me on Twitter, which running back could the Chiefs get at 29? Now, I don't think they could get Josh Jacobs there. Maybe they would consider that, but I've been told by uh, people connected to the Chiefs scouting department, people in that organization, that they will not select a running back early. The focus of this offseason is going to be all about the defense. They feel like the offense is good enough. We could see an interior offensive lineman if center Mitch Morse does leave in free agency, but the primary focus of the Chiefs this offseason, Connor, is going to be defense. And if I could hand-pick a player for them that's realistically going to be on the board at 29 overall, I would be all over DeAndre Baker from Georgia, the corner, physical player, great against the run and very good in coverage. I think a lot of times this year, teams did not throw the ball his way. So he's not going to have the gaudy statistics, but his play on the field, his toughness seems to fit the mentality that the chiefs are going to run with Steve Spagnuolo as the defensive coordinator. Like you need guys who can press, you need people who are physical at the line of scrimmage. DeAndre Baker might not run a four, three, but technically speaking, he's one of the best corners that I've seen in this class. And I think that's an absolutely great fit. And if you look at this Kansas City team, it doesn't even just end there, Matt. You're talking about the round one pick, 30th overall. I agree with you. You got to get secondary help, whoever the best player is. You might have to move up for a guy like Baker, of course. But you look at their round two pick, even from the Rams, I believe it's from. You got to keep going. Maybe you get a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson to kind of play your nickel and help out in coverage and also chip in at safety. So when it comes down to it for the Chiefs, and they might even have to get younger up front at some point. Are they going to be able to retain D Ford? Are they going to, you know, how long is Justin Houston really going to hold up? Chris Jones is an absolute star, but you need more pieces around him. So I think Kansas City is in such a great spot here because when you look at it, they could score points for days. You have a clear plan, a clear initiative that you need to fix, and that is specifically on defense and most of it being in the secondary. Yeah, and they, you're right. They showed this year they can outscore just about anyone uh, unless the refs are messing with, uh, you know, if you touch Tom Brady's face mask, he, it's, a, it's a penalty. But they do have to get better on defense. And I think they'll only be better on offense next year as we see someone like Sammy Watkins hopefully be healthy for a full season. Like maybe that will start to play into this and they, the offense can be more explosive uh, if they can either retain Mitch Morris and keep him healthy or replace him at center. That's only going to help the Chiefs be better. So it should be a, an offseason focused on defense. They can do some things cap-wise. Justin Houston's probably not going to be back. Eric Berry can, probably not going to be back. D Ford will probably get tagged with the franchise tag. So there's some flexibility there for this team to still be aggressive, which we know general manager Brett Veach wants to be aggressive. Like He's, he's going to trade Marcus Peters. He's going to get Sammy Watkins. Uh, he's going to keep trying to churn the bottom of this roster to get better. Last bit of news that we have for today, DK Metcalf cleared for football. I, I accidentally tweeted this out the other day and said cleared for contact. Like, nope, he's cleared for football. If there were a game today and his team were playing in it, he would be able to get on the field, which is remarkable. He broke his neck, had surgery in October, and he's cleared to play football now as we almost get to February. So it sounds like he's going to be ready to go for the combine. And I know there are some teams that are very excited about him as we talked about this just a couple shows ago. Maybe the best jump ball, you know, vertical stretch receiver in this draft yes. class because of his catch radius. Um, it, he was outshined statistically by A.J. Brown at Ole Miss this past year. But I think if you watch the tape and when those two were on the same field, DK Metcalf really showed that he could be a number one receiver in the NFL. 
Yeah, I like him better than a lot of the big receivers or the upside receivers in this class. I mean, I like him better than Nikhil Harry. I like him better than Hakeem Butler. Uh, the list kind of goes on and on here. And The only guy that I really think I'll have over him overall, and he's more of a high floor player, is Kelvin Harmon from NC State. I'll have Harmon as a high floor guy, but DK Metcalf is the wide receiver one if you're talking about upside guys. And I think those two categories are really fair to break down because like you said, Matt, Metcalf got hurt, missed a lot of the season. We don't really know what he can become, but what we saw in flashes was absolutely insane. He could stretch the field vertically. He's really, really big body that can make things happen after the catch, and he's a great red zone threat. So this is great news. Hopefully we continue to hear that great news coming out of the combine medicals from teams. But at the end of the day, Metcalf is right in the thick and thin of that conversation for the best wide receiver in this class. Yeah, and how about some uh, prospect of the day, some notes? You're doing a great job with us on the Stick to Football Instagram. If people want to see cut-ups of players and why we're excited about them, head over to Stick to Football's Instagram. You can see that as well as, you never know, you might get a surprise two-round mock draft that we do when we get rained out in Mobile. So you definitely want to be following there. My dude to highlight today, Connor's Montez Sweat, who we we talked about a lot in Mobile about a player who really popped on the field, looked, looked the part, right? He's a top 15 pick. He was active. He was powerful. He's quick. So you start asking around because, it, oh, man, this player looks good. Like, why? where was the buzz for him? You know, why was he not considered a top 10 player? Uh, I feel like I have some very good sources at Mississippi State uh, just from over the years. Um, I have family that lives down there. I, I feel like I, I got a, a good finger on the pulse of that program. And one thing I heard back was that they think Montez Sweat will get dinged throughout the process. Uh, just for some immaturity stuff. It's not anything, you know, uh, violent. It's not anything drug related, just some immaturity, some laziness. And then that dreaded label, man, he might not love football. And you have to remember, yeah. this is a kid who was kicked out of Michigan state for disciplinary issues. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit, uh, got to Ole Miss and he's been a very good player and he's not been in any trouble, but a couple guys down there, uh, made sure to let me know that, yeah, there's, there's some issues there where just, you know, maybe he's just lazy. Maybe he just needs someone to light a fire under his ass a little bit. But as one of the most impressive prospects we saw in Mobile, there are some questions about him now as a prospect. Yeah, he had some really great practices. My prospect of the day here, and he's already up on the Instagram. I just finished watching him over these last two days. Had a pretty awesome national championship game, too. Cleland Furl. So, obviously, Matt, this is the time of year we start writing scouting reports. I have officially logged in mine for Furl. Uh, health got the green light. The only injury history has was a torn ACL, but that was in high school. And he's had three productive years, healthy years since character, a film, a athleticism, B minus. I said, team captain, long proportional build with adequate muscle throughout good, get off the snap and attacks of the plan. Wide array of moves that include swim, rip, long arm, and more a bit stiff and upright when attempting to turn to the pocket lacks twitch. He's obviously not a guy that, you know, is going to really bend his way into the pocket, but strong hand usage that's maximized with placement to always gain leverage, rarely loses contain against the run, often lives in the backfield due to excellent pre-snap IQ, displays power in a high motor to rush the passer, plays with an edge, has excelled against the best competition on the biggest stages of college football, impact player on two national championship teams with high-end production over three seasons, 50 tackles for a loss, 26 sacks, ideal 4-3 defensive end, but has experience as a stand-up rusher. So I don't write a lot of reports that are that positive and have that little amount of negatives, but Cleon Farrell, when you get these guys that played four years of college football and have played long seasons going to the national title hunt a couple of times, you kind of know what you're getting more often than not. This is a top 10 top 15 kind of player, a really good defensive end that's rounded out his game. And I got a mid first round grade on this guy. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a lot of help. There's no way to sugarcoat. This is a team that's trending in the wrong direction and they didn't make the big change in the front office. We expected this year. They did make it at head coach, bringing in Bruce Arians and, and all his friends. Basically you get Byron Leftwich, you get Todd Bowles. The crew is back together in Tampa Bay and they believe they can fix this team and they can fix Jameis Winston. We're going to give them a little help with what they could do and what they should do. Let's start with free agency. Like we always do, Connor, this team is up against it right now. $12 million in salary cap space, but they have some flexibility to get out from under this. And that might be at the risk of letting go some very good players. Gerald McCoy and Jason Pierre-Paul can both be released with zero dead money. So no cap penalties, but massive cap savings that this team's going to need because one of their best players, Quan Alexander, is a free agent. He's a 25-year-old linebacker. He's going to be highly sought after, very productive over the past few years. I actually think he's one of the better 
more underrated linebackers in the NFL, if they don't value him, he's going to get loose and he's going to make some money somewhere like Oakland, somewhere maybe like your New York Jets. They have to be creative. And I think it starts with letting Gerald McCoy and Jason Pierre-Paul walk this year and try to replace them, get younger in the draft. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. You got to bring back Juan Alexander. I know his season didn't end exactly how he had hoped, obviously, but he's young. He's been productive and he'll be back strong as ever. So I'm with you there. I I kind of agree. I, I question, though, it kind of feels like the Arians hire was to ride this thing out with Jameis. I'm not saying the GM made this hire just to save his job because it was obviously a very good hire. Bruce Arians is a proven successful head coach. But I don't think it's crazy at all. If you cut Jameis Winston here, you're picking fifth overall. You can get a quarterback. But sticking with free agency, you obviously said re-sign Quan Alexander. I would like to see them go on the external market, too, and see if you can get the Honey Badger. Help this secondary out a little bit. I know they spent some draft picks there last year with MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis. I know Davis flashed a little bit this year, hoping to get some more out of Vernon Hargraves over this next year. But the Honey Badger gives you that versatile chess piece that the back end of this team really needs. Yeah, and I would say, you know, continuing on the free agency thing, you cut Jameis Winston, which he's been a nightmare off the field. Hasn't been great on it. You save $21 million. Jason Pierre-Paul, $15 million. Gerald McCoy, $13 million. Deshaun Jackson, who's getting older. I know Bruce Arians wants him back. You save $10 million. Vinnie Curry, $8 million. Cameron Brait, $7 million. Like, I'm getting like excited about all the all the things you could go add in free agency here by not re-signing these guys. But the, the problem is they need players and they don't have a surplus of draft picks. So when it comes to the draft, if you're not going to sit there at five and take a quarterback, which I think Dwayne Haskins would be a great fit for what Bruce Arians does. I'd be pretty excited about that matchup, actually. If you're not going to take a quarterback at five, I think this is a team that should target a trade back. And I know we it feels like we keep saying that with every team. Try to trade back. Try to trade back. I think you can look at this year's draft and, and look at a team like, okay, maybe we only have to slide back to seven. Let the Jacksonville Jaguars jump New York the New York Giants to draft a quarterback. And we'll sit at seven. And maybe we can still get Ed Oliver because Gerald McCoy is gone and we need a three technique. Then you have some extra picks where you can hopefully get three to four starters out of this draft. The problem with that is I don't know that I trust Jason Light as a scout, as an evaluator, to be able to go get these guys because, frankly, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have not drafted well in recent history. I mean, we will see if guys like, I mean, Verna Hargraves, is he ever going to produce and become the you know first-round talent that we thought he was going to be? Uh, we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it from any of their picks where you're like, okay, that was a great pick. Like, uh, Chris Godwin is probably the only one I can think of where I was like, okay, man, this guy's pretty good. Uh, Ali Marpet at guard is a solid player, but there's like the building blocks that you need to win in the NFL. Like they have just not hit on those spots. And you know what? I'll, I'll fall on the sword too. Our guy, Noah Spence has not panned out. He's not been what we thought. Not at all. But Ronald Jones last year, second round pick can't get on the field. Vita Vea barely on the field. They've missed at early spots. 2016, Vernon Hargraves, Noah Spence, Roberto Aguayo. Those are your first three fucking picks in the NFL draft. 2017, I love O.J. Howard. Justin Evans is an okay nickel. I like Chris Godwin, but man, can can this team draft or, or not? And even the 2015 class where I remember praising this draft class, Jameis Winston has not been good. Donovan Smith it, it has not been good and might leave in free agency this year. Ali Marpet's been good. Quan Alexander's been good. But they miss so often on premier draft picks that they don't have a foundation to build around. They don't have blue chip players other than Mike Evans right now and the potential of OJ Howard. So rebuilding this team through the draft, my first move would be to trade back from five to seven. And I would be all over Ed Oliver if he's there at that spot. Yeah, I think that would be pretty awesome, especially if they do move on from Gerald McCoy. So you look at this Bucks team, they have picks through the first six rounds. They don't have a seventh round pick. I think they'll survive without it. But like you said, Matt, you got to hit on these picks. So I did a little mini dream draft for them through the first three rounds. And I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Dwayne Haskins, fifth overall. Christian Wilkins in the second round, assuming you move on from Gerald McCoy so you get some more beef, pro-ready beef up front. I know Todd Bowles will love that. And then Lonnie Johnson, the long, you know, I call him a corner, but he can really do a little of everything. It's secondary uh, piece from Kentucky. 
How do you think that would help the Bucks going forward? No, I, I think that's huge. You know, you have to address the middle, and then they, yeah, they have to get better at corner. I know we we said all last year. We every time we would do a mock draft on this show, it was like Derwin James, Derwin James. Hey guys, Derwin James, and then they draft Vita Vea, a nose tackle at twelve right? overall, staring them in the face right. too. Like, that's what kills me in their backyard. Like, hey guys, I'm right here. Like, look at me. I'm an All Pro, and they they don't draft. I've always me. been good. <laughs> yeah. So and and I, I do think that helps. You know, and we need to see some of these guys. They had three second round picks last year. They drafted Ronald Jones, who we just said could not get on the field. But MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis are intriguing guys. So I like the idea of adding Lonnie Johnson into that mix. And you have Vernon Hargraves in the nickel. And your hope has to be that these players can get on the field and give you a strength really as they develop and grow together because that that has you have to find a strength on this team. I mean they're they're not good at linebacker if Quan Alexander leaves. They're really not that good up front. So they have to find an identity. When I looked at them and I've started a seven round mock draft that's going to come out Monday morning after the Super Bowl, I did go Ed Oliver at five. And then in the second round, I went with Dalton Reisner because I look at the offensive line. If Donovan Smith leaves, you got a big problem at left tackle. But even at right tackle where DeMar Dodson's there, like this is not a, a high level player. Like this is not a, a guy that you build your offensive line around. You're like, okay, well, we got a great right tackle. It's just not who he is. Dalton Reisner could be a great right tackle. Dodson's 33 years old. Uh, he's overpaid as is, but he'll probably stay because it's like four and a half million dollars. It's easy to keep him around. I think Dalton Reisner could either start at right tackle. Hell, he might even be able to start at one of these guard positions for Tampa Bay because they have so many needs just across the board. Marpet at left guard, Reisner at right guard. It's a pretty damn good offensive line. So I would start this draft by going to the trenches and trying to build a tough team in the middle. Exactly. I think you're seeing a consistent theme with a lot of our additions here. Honey Badger brings attitude to the secondary. Christian Wilkins brings attitude up front in the trenches on the defensive side. Dalton Reisner brings attitude on the offensive line. So this is a team that needs a little more punch, a little more fight. I mean, there's been times where we've seen flashes of this team and you're like, damn, like they got talent. Mike Evans, to me, is probably a top five wide receiver in the NFL off of talent. He needs to be in an offense that consistently helps him. So I know this team can turn things around quickly with Bruce Arians, but they just got to get some more players in there just with a little more punch in them. Yeah, they do. And again, with six draft picks, unless you trade back, they're going to have to be creative. And I think a lot of pressure now comes on this scouting staff. You know, when you expand it out, when you start to look to the third round, if you go trenches first, second round, you, know, you have to come around. You you need to find a running back. Like Peyton Barber uh, is is fine as a, a rotational guy, but if Ronald Jones is, needs challenged, bottom line, he needs challenged. If our guy David Montgomery's there in the third, I think it's a very easy pick. But I would also look at someone like Darrell Henderson from Memphis, who has some juice. You know, can give them a, a lot of different looks. Can move all around that. Uh, all the different, you know, as a receiver, as a runner, inside, outside, like he can be that versatile back in the third round is a great value for them. So I would, after you address the trenches, you're either going to have a new quarterback or an embattled one coming back next year. You got to help them out. You have receivers, you have a tight end. But I think from there, I would look at that backfield, man, and say, okay, we might have swung and missed on Ronald Jones for whatever reason. I liked him a lot. I'm very surprised by the fact that he couldn't contribute in some way, shape, or form. Now we're looking at this team of like, okay, you you have to have a contingency plan for the idea that maybe he's not going to work out. So pairing uh, a Darrell Henderson back there, David Montgomery and Ronald Jones, if Ronald Jones could get back to USC level, that's a pretty good pairing because of the speed and power aspect of that. But do you see any other needs on this roster where it's like, okay, they have to address this for it to be a successful offseason? No, I think we covered a lot of the bases. I think the interesting thing is Donovan Smith, who's just been average as a tackle and is probably going to require high-end starter money because that's always how free agency works at that position for average players. So I think they have a gigantic decision to make there. At the end of the day, it would be shocking if they do let him walk just because they're not in a position to create more holes or more needs. And one thing back to the, the bargain running back, if they feel that they just invested too much in Ronald Jones last year and can't use a top three round pick, on a running back, listen, they were staring at Derwin James kind of in their backyard, like you said, last year. How about don't miss on Devin Singletary this year? I mean, oh, you want to talk yeah. about bargain running backs. I think he's there in the fourth or fifth round, Matt. And I just think he's somebody that, sure, he might not be your workhorse, but as your kind of 1B running back, this guy can make a lot of plays. I really like him. I actually think he could be a second-round pick. And I, 
Like that's where I will grade him. But I can tell you I'm through two rounds of a mock draft and he's not in it yet because it's just hard to find fits for running backs right now. It's it's very difficult. So I like him a lot. My goodness, his hips are are special, man. He he his ability to see pressure and see lanes close and hop out of them is wild. Now he's gonna take some losses. There's gonna be times he's definitely gonna get popped in the mouth and he's gonna lose four or five yards. But man, he is a really, really fun prospect. You're right. You you can't this like we talked about with Dana Hogerson, like, you know, you're at Houston now. You gotta recruit Houston. If you're the Buccaneers, like, man, you can't let players get out of Florida. There's a good player, FSU, FAU, UCF, Miami, Florida. Like you have to be able to get those guys because they're in your backyard. You've been scouting them for three to four years. So hopefully they see that. And I'm with you, man. Devin Singletary would make that offense a lot of fun. It's time for some draft on draft. And I am sitting in a hotel room that it doesn't have a mini bar. So I don't have a cold beer to open, which it makes me very sad, but Connor, uh, anything in office or you just, you're probably drinking a water right now yeah. and an iced coffee would be my guess. Uh, I already got through the coffee. So water. And I actually have a change in uptake, Matt. I have an orange juice. I don't often drink orange juice, but sometimes you just get this craving. So really wild draft on draft this morning. Did I ever tell you, by the way, I'm going to go off topic because I do at least once a show that uh, I was in New York about a month ago or yeah, a month ago ish. My my last month has been weird. And you and I went to have lunch and we were very tired. It was the the national championship game. We stayed out late. We drank a little bit. And we went and had some Japanese food to just try to feel better about our day. And you said that you wanted uh, a cold brew. You wanted a nice coffee. And yes. I had never had one before. What? That was my first time. And I'm addicted now. Wait a minute. You hadn't had a cold brew? No, ever. Because I don't really like coffee a whole lot. So Neither do I. I don't drink hot coffee. But yeah, no, I'm on, the, I'm on it now, man. I'm oh, all about yeah. it. If I'm going to have a coffee, it has to be cold brew or a, just an espresso shot. Like, I yeah. won't have any, anything else if I'm going to drink it. But how good. Listen, here's a secret, and I didn't know about this. If you ever go to get, like, dumplings or sushi at a really good place, just ask if they have cold brew. That was some of the best cold brew to go I think I've ever had. It was definitely the best I've ever had. But yeah. I've been limited to like Starbucks <laughs> since then. So. Oh my god, it was awesome. So yeah, wow. So now you're you're absolutely you're going to be caffeinated. You're going to be a better man for all of this. I feel like I get made fun of by my girlfriend because I put like what? Splenda in my cold brew. But well, I'm fine with it. I'll own it. Listen, you do you. Don't let her break your stride here. I, we got a lot I of order quesadillas at Chipotle, man. I don't give a yeah. shit. No, you are an absolute food rebel. This is well documented. It is. All right, let's get to these questions. S. Michaels 42 sent us a DM on Twitter. Thanks for sliding in those DMs, man. Appreciate that. What do you think of the Packers going after Devin White with their first pick and either getting an edge with the second pick or in free agency? So I like this a lot, actually. I, I think it adds speed, which is what the Packers need. Picking at 12, I just worry about him being there. And obviously, trades are going to shake things up. But, man, it just feels like he could come off the board, you know, at 8 the Lions, if they don't go edge, could go linebacker, pair him with Gerard Davis. Feels like the Bengals at 11 is a good spot for him. But until we see what happens in free agency, until we see if there are some trades that shake things up, I could definitely see this because it is, a, I think, a weak linebacker class at the top, and it's a deep edge class. So if you told me I could have Devin White at 12 and then come back around at pick 30 and get someone like Jalen Ferguson or O'Shane Zimenez, yeah, I'd be pretty happy with that draft for the Packers of the first two or the first two picks around one. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think, like you said, the problem is everyone I talk to, like Devin White might be an undisputed top 10 player on every NFL board. So at some point, we're going to get to a team that's sitting there and they're like, well, don't need a quarterback or don't like these ones. Uh, don't want to reach on a position. Let's just take a guy we know is going to be really, really good for a long time. So can Devin White make it to the Packers pick? Maybe. I uh, wouldn't rely on it, but I do love the idea. Yeah, I, same here. Our guy, the Miles Files, another Twitter DM. He has two questions for us. Are there any basketball players converting to tight end in this year's class? And why does basketball translate to the tight end position? So I don't know of any basketball players playing tight end. Uh, we talked about Montez Sweat earlier in the show. Uh, he's a basketball guy. Drew Locke, uh, the quarterback from Missouri, was a big basketball guy. But it's a little early in the process for me to have done background on like, hey, what sport did you play in high school? But we will definitely get to that. I think the reason it translates is kind of obvious. Like if you're a small forward or a power forward at basketball, 
a lot of times you're boxing out. You know, you're using your body to shield a defender from the ball. And that's what most tight ends do. Obviously, you know, basketball, you got to be able to get up and down the court. Same thing for a tight end position. You have to be able to, you don't have to be a fourth four guy. You don't have to be a four or five guy in some cases, but you have to have quickness and agility to be able to get open. I cannot stress this enough. If you're a parent or a young person listening to this, don't let your kids specialize in sports. Like, don't do it. There, basketball helps you so much with hand-eye coordination, footwork, balance. So many aspects that make you a good football player show up in basketball. I would say the same for soccer, wrestling especially, you know, baseball. Just do it all. Try to become a better all-around athlete. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, listen, there's a reason these guys translate so quickly. I think so many of the traits really, you know, go, cross over into football. And like like the question says, it's it really makes sense that tight end uh, and basketball players, because of the length, the size, the ability in the red zone, you know, just jump balls, whatever it is. So there is a lot there. And I love your point about just, you know, playing all sports. Let's not forget, Ndamukong Sue played soccer into like high school, I think, which is just so right. funny because he's so ridiculously big. But his mom didn't want him playing football. So he grew up playing soccer. And then eventually I think she caved because this man was just absolutely huge and meant to meant to dominate on a football field. But there are so many different paths to the NFL or to college football, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be just all football all the time. And I think that's why we're seeing all of these guys year after year make the transition really well. I mean, I don't want to say it started with Antonio Gates or Jimmy Graham or anything like that, but those are like the really notable ones. But I feel like this trend is, is just growing. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. And Dominic Sue playing soccer is terrifying. Like I'm picturing that right now. It's like an elephant running down the field. Uh, second <laughs> question from our guy, the Miles Files. Who's the best college player that won't make it to the NFL and why won't they Ooh. get a chance? So this is a tough question. I actually had to think about it a little bit. It reminded me of Scooby Wright. Do you remember him? Linebacker. Oh, how can I forget? Yeah. yeah, and everybody was like, oh, he should win the Heisman, and he's this great two-way player. And and then, like, you started watching, and you realize, like, this dude's incredibly slow. Like, he's he's he is a two-down player, not a two-way player. He can't get outside the tackle box, can't get off blocks, and he, I think he ended up a UDFA and washed out pretty quickly. So He's that's on the Arizona reminded. Hot Shots. Well, there you go. Watch the <laughs> AAF, I guess. So you know who uh, this made me think of was Washington linebacker Ben Burkirvin, who was in, I think he was like a third team All-American maybe. Um, it, really talented, super productive uh, college player. Um, not an NFL guy. He's six foot tall, 221 pounds. He plays inside linebacker. And I don't see the speed to make me think that this guy could play linebacker the next level. I, I only like know of him because of watching other people on their team. And I mean, yeah, he was the PAC 12 scholar athlete of the year. He was the PAC 12 defensive player of the year, like first team, all American by ESPN, second team, all American by a ton of other places. Um, very productive, man. Very, very productive, very smart. Uh, he's on like academic PAC 12 for the last three years, just not an NFL player in my book. Yeah, I think when you look at it, it'll be kind of similar to Scooby Wright where he'll go on day three and he'll get a chance. He'll get into a camp. But at the end of the day, it's just hard to cut it when you're not only a tweener, but you don't really have the athleticism that makes you a difference maker. So we'll gladly swallow that one if we're wrong. But, you know, there's got to be somebody where there's always outliers, right? But Scooby Wright is such a good example because usually the cases with these guys, the production is just off the charts. But Production, as we often know, doesn't always translate into NFL success. Yeah, Scooby Wright, the 250th pick of the draft, man. He was six away from being Mr. Irrelevant. So close. Uh, next one for Patrick Chamberlain, who is a great listener. He is, uh, I saw he tweeted, he's going for perfect attendance, uh, a sticky award that he made up where he sends in a draft on draft question for every show. So love that. I love the dedication here. His question, if you had to make a seven-man roster to play both ways from the players in this year's draft, like the old video game NFL Blitz, which seven players would you choose? Um, we've done this before, and it ends up so being fun. all like safeties and receivers and maybe a tight end and a running back. So well, I would take Kyler, right? Oh, yeah, you take Kyler for sure because he yep. can play safety. Yep. And I think actually think Noah Fant would be very, very sought after in a seven on seven. If you have to go Iron Man and play both ways. Oh, without a doubt. He's the size and athleticism. Yeah. Uh, Debo Samuel catcher. would be in there. Yep. Josh Jacobs obviously would be in there. So that's four. Um, man, at receiver, 
I don't know that like like Hakeem Butler, Nikhil Harry, those guys are so tall that I would maybe just take them and put them out on the edge. Like let them just play corner on the outside and just knock down everything that comes their way. Yeah, especially Butler, who's like the biggest human being at any skill position right. besides Donald Parham, who plays right. on stilts. So then, I mean, that's all offensive players. Like, let's just take Taylor Rapp to play strong safety. And I, I have a feeling he could play some receiver too. What about uh maybe Nasir Adderley? Adderley, yeah. Adderley is quick for sure. So really offensively he'd be fun. Um, Jonathan Abram would just hurt people. So I do like that about him. Like you need a goon like in hockey. Oh, we missed an obvious, a really, really bad obvious. Devin White. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I thought of (laughs) it. He played running back. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Devin White and Josh Jacobs back there would be an amazing running back duo. I'm definitely here for that. Dude. Let's just go wing T. On seven on seven, that'll make. Can you run the triple option and win in a? (laughs) We'll figure it out. We'll find a way. Oh God, it would never work. But I I would love to do this for eleven on eleven and build my own wing T roster from uh, two side players. That's (laughs) the stuff I used to do on Twitter when I had free time. Of like, I'm gonna build like a 1920s offense from this draft class. Dude, it's so fun. Yeah. So I'm rereading. We love to get off topic, and I know. Matt, a lot of people always ask you about like what books to read, and I'm rereading one of the uh, Chris Brown smart football books. The I always like reread the same three books before I finish all my scouting reports for the year, just like as a refresher. Some chapters I skip because I just don't feel the need. And those books, the way they break down the transition from like the really, really ancient offenses to where we are now with the spread and Mike Leach and Cliff Kingsbury and you know Art Bryles before Baylor ended up an absolute disaster. You can't recommend those books enough. It's unbelievable. Just the way the game has transformed. And it makes it funny because you know this more than me. It transforms who you scout for or how you grade players. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I got asked about this on radio this week. And it was like, with what Bill Belichick's doing by taking football back to the 80s on offense, like, does that change how you scout players? It's like, well, it changes how I look at players for them. It absolutely does. And if it becomes a trend where you're going to go, you know, a 350 pound left tackle and you're a 20 out of 27 players are going to be runs or screens. Then yeah, it changes things because uh, Mello has been saying it on the show for three years. It's defenses get smaller. Offenses are going to get bigger and go back to just probably running the ball down their throats. And, and we're starting to see a little bit of that already. All right. Steven Zavino, or is it Stefan Zavino? I don't know. I'm pulling a mat here. And just I'm glad you took names. it. Yep, it's yeah. Instagram DM here. Do you think there's any shot the Patriots trade for one of the Buccaneers tight ends between OJ Howard or Cameron Brait? From watching in the years past, it doesn't seem like he uses his tight ends a lot. I'm assuming he's talking about Bruce Arians there. Yeah. Um, I don't. No think way so. they trade OJ Howard. Yeah. No way. That that's what I was to say. I don't I don't see it either. I think Cameron Brait's one of those guys that could be let go and and free agency and and you could just sign him. I also think the Patriots like they don't panic. You know, like they're not going to look at Rob Gronkowski and be like, Gronkowski and be like, "Oh my God, we have to draft someone right now." Like they will just be patient. They have two picks in the second round of this year's draft, which is pretty deep at tight end. So, I, I what I'm most interested about this offseason, one of the biggest storylines for me is how will the Patriots attack this offseason? Are they going to sell out and try to get a quarterback, or are they going to keep plugging holes like they did last year with Isaiah Wynn, who unfortunately got hurt, and Sonny Michelle, where they're going to keep loading up for another Super Bowl run? Like they don't they don't have to tear this thing down just quite yet. And the way Bill Belichick is, man, he's probably going to find some freaking tight end on the uh, out on the street or like get Rico gathers from the Cowboys. And he it finally clicks and it becomes this great tight end prospect. So I don't I don't see them as the type of team that would trade good, you know, good assets in the draft for a tight ends like Bray or I, I love OJ Howard. I just I don't think Tampa can let go of a guy. You just picked number six overall two years ago. I mean, also, here's the good news, you know, for Steven, who asked this question here, the Patriots can easily find their tight end of the future in this draft with all of the guys there that fit their scheme. I mean, maybe a Dawson Knox, Drew Sample, TJ Hawkinson. There's all these options. These guys can all block and be underneath pass catchers that can really step in right away. So, I mean, I'm with you. I don't think they need to get super aggressive. It's never the Patriots' way to kind of panic and and do something like that. And I think the draft presents them so many options to really bolstering the future of that position for them. Um, it also 
like Caden Smith from Stanford just feels like a New England Patriot, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, blocker, great over the middle, not super fast, like not an outside the hashes guy, but solid just though. Dominates between the hashes. Very, very solid. One of my favorite things to do is just do a mock draft for the Patriots and just be like, how can I like make Jets fans cry by continuing to make this team <laughs> so nice really, of you. really good? Like uh, we need help. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Alex Trimlin 97 sent two DMs on Instagram. Man, I, that's like the new dating app is what my uh, daughter was telling me. Like if you people just DM each other on Instagram, that's how you start dating. So Alex, welcome. We're dating now. Thoughts on Tyree Jackson declaring. Would he have benefited more from a good year at a Power 5 school than selling himself on potential this year? So I this is actually a hard answer because I think Tyree Jackson was smart to look at next year's quarterback class and say, okay, I have a better chance this year. Like I, I would rather throw myself in with those guys in the 2019 draft than the 2020 class that looks really, really good. On the other hand, he is so damn inconsistent that I do think another year would have helped him. I, I guess the key with that is, would he have been consistent at a new school where he's having to learn, you know, a new offense, the timing and playbook and just everything that goes into a transfer? You know, we saw guys like Jarrett Stidham struggle. Um, we, we've just seen this too often where early in the year, uh, guys can struggle to get that timing down at a new school. So I don't know that he would have benefited by necessarily going to a power five school and playing for a year. Sometimes you just are who you are. And I feel like that's where we are with, with Tyree Jackson, huge arm. Oh my God. Throws bullets, no mobility. And it's just wildly inaccurate. Yeah. Which was funny because like when you watch his film, he does a really good job escaping the pocket, but you see him in person. He's not, he's clunky. He like moves kind of slow. So I don't know if it'll work at the next level in terms of that, but huge arm, definitely a developmental prospect. And I think the question's interesting because the answer for Alex here is he could have benefited at a power five school, but it was a long shot. I think declaring now did make a lot of sense. I do think he'll be, what do you think? I say fourth or fifth round pick. Yeah. That's where I have him. Uh, Yeah. Fourth, fifth round. Yeah. And here's the thing for him. Like, he, you know, from a business perspective, I think he'll make out all right. He signed with Vayner Sports. So it, they're, they're going to market you very well. You're going to be on an NFL roster. I just yeah. think that, it, you know, he's not one of those guys that's going to be out of the league in a year and nowhere to go. I think overall he's he set up. He didn't make this crazy mistake where he's going undrafted. He will hear his name called off the board and at least hang around the league for a couple of years, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it is a bad quarterback class after the guys who we all think are going to go round one. I mean, like Jarrett Stidham, I do like Jarrett Stidham in round two, but after that, like you're getting into Clayton Thorson territory or maybe Ryan Finley and Will Greer. So it, it could help him enough if someone falls in love with his traits and sees him as a developmental type guy, you know, not to just like be obvious because we just talked about Bruce Arians, but like he would fit what Bruce Arians does because he doesn't move well, but he does he throws the hell out of the ball. So it's somewhere where he can go and not be asked to run around. It's going to be key for him. Next one from Alex Trimlin. People say you should build a receiving core like a basketball team. If you had to pick a college receiver to play point guard, shooting guard, and center, who would you pick? Super easy for me. I would pick Marquise Brown to play point, Debo Samuel to play shooting guard, and Hakeem Butler to play center. Yeah, there's no answer for center besides Hakeem right. Butler. Here, if Colin so. Johnson had declared... I would yes. take him, but because he's got like the longest arms I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So, all right. So I'll stick with Hakeem Butler at center. Let's have some fun with, with this one. I'm going to make Hunter Renfro my John Stockton Ooh, there you as go. my point guard. And then uh, I'll keep this really, a really tiny team. We'll put Penny Hart next to him as the Ooh, shooting guard. Man. So, you want Andy Isabella in there too? No, I definitely do not. You guys could have that one. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Uh, and I, I was thinking like LJ Humphrey would be a good small forward. Like six. Yeah, there's, there's so many. It's so funny. There's so many guys that would be like really good wing players. Like yeah. even like even Metcalf is one of those guys. Once again, to kill Harry, uh, you know, our Sega Whiteside would actually be a good shooting guard. He is so Ooh, he actually yeah. would probably He's be long. a good basketball player. I yeah. mean, he boxes corners out in the in the red zone, like boxes them out. So he's a player that we don't get to talk about enough, which we will. Really interesting player. Yeah, definitely will. Last question, JQTV. We love you, brother. Twitter DM. If you had to go back and take a quarterback for the Jets last year, but it can't be Sam Darnold, who would it be? If you don't say Baker Mayfield, I'm going to book a flight right now from Atlanta to Newark, find you, and (laughs) slap you. (laughs) No, And then run. (laughs) 
I liked Baker Mayfield better than Sam Darnold. So I, I would definitely say Baker Mayfield here, but I think it was ESPN that played this mean joke on me recently. They did a redraft and they had Baker go first, Sam Darnold go second. And then they gave like Josh Allen to the Jets at three. And I was like, if you do a redraft and make a fan base miserable, then don't do the redraft. But it's, <laughs> I mean, it's what the Giants probably should have done in hindsight. Um, yeah, it would be Baker Mayfield. If Baker was off the board and Darnold was off the board, I would, I still, am the, I think I'm the last believer that Josh Rosen can turn things around. Like that, that situation in Arizona was garbage this year. It, it was such garbage. And I mean, he has his own struggles. Do not get me wrong. He has his own yep. struggles. But when it comes down to it, I, I'm just not. You look at how bad quarterback plays across the league. I do think he can definitely be at least a middle of the pack guy with his arm talent. And and Connor, if we've learned anything in the last three years, it's don't don't jump on quarterbacks too early. Never. It's okay oh to God. wait. It's okay. Uh, do, do you remember how many people said Jared Goff was a bust after his rookie year? Totally. And, and I'm on not the flip sitting- side, like. People anointed Carson Wentz as the next Aaron Rodgers. And I know Wentz has been hurt. I'm not, I like Carson Wentz. But that still factors in. But that matters. So people said RG3 was better than Andrew Luck after one year. 100%. And then also people were like, oh, Deshaun Watson will never stay healthy and throws too many interceptions. And he looked fine this year. Mitch Trubisky. People shit all over him because he had a rough first year. So I, I know like everyone wants this. 60 second evaluation of people, but wait and see who knows cliff Kingsbury. Maybe he's going to be this great head coach and he and Josh Rosen can figure things out. Like Sean McVay did for, for Jared Goff, like Matt Nagy did for Mitch Trubisky. Like it's, it's too early to write these people off. I know everybody wants to, but just take a deep breath. It'll all be okay. Speaking of which, uh, I, we have to talk about this on the show. Did you see Graham Harrell is taking the USC offensive coordinator job of course he is because the nfl is incestual or college football is too it's like (laughs) it's all like oh we couldn't get that texas tech quarterback let's get another one like i i have a theory that there is some kind of pyramid scheme happening with all of these young coaches that were not that were just good college quarterbacks or just average college players that go to the nfl i'll I, i need a visual for it but it's Let's like, if you know Sean McVay, you can get in the pyramid scheme. And we now need I have to whiteboard feeling, it. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury is seeing the Sean McVay model, and it's like, ooh, I could start my own pyramid right. scheme. Let's do Man, this. Asking Dana Holgerson if he knows Sean McVay, he just looked at me like, you're an idiot, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. He was so fun. But that one, he was just like, he goes, nah, I don't know him. <laughs> it's like, it was a joke, coach. Thanks. Yeah, he's he uh he's pretty serious. He hadn't had his sugar free Red Bull sip yet. He wasn't once that was down though, forget it. He was good to go. He's like, I don't know if my son's a good quarterback, but we'll see. (laughs) That voice is the best, man. I'm gonna change so good just for the podcast so I can sound like Dana Holgerson. I I have already told Melo we're road tripping through Texas this summer and we're gonna go to like just summer workouts at UT. We want I want to go to Houston. Um, oh, that shit would be awesome. I don't think they'd let us go anywhere else in the state of Texas. We're not real well liked at A and M or Tech or Baylor. No. Baylor, Baylor, we'd be okay. But can you go to North Texas? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, I think we think we're cool there. North Texas is like almost Oklahoma, though. So I don't. TCU know was really good to us. We they had a were. good time at TCU. They really were. Yeah, they were yeah. great. So uh, that would be a fun like summer tailgate tour. Just go to go to summer workouts and. Get the scouting process started a little earlier this year. Eat eat so much barbecue. Eat, drink so much Lone Star. I'd be very happy with that. Let's make this happen. I, I like this idea now. Hope, hopefully, Jesse, you're still listening at this point in the show, and you're going to green light this. That's what we want to happen. So, and that, if you're not, then it gets green lighted anyway. Then so. we're just going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, forgiveness, permission. That's the goal. Hey, bingo. Best advice I ever got. Exactly. All right. That is our show. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, if it sounds funny because I'm in a hotel room, I apologize. I'll be back home uh, for the Monday morning show. Mello and I will be back Friday morning doing some top fives, breaking down some prospects and getting you all the news that we learned throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. And we'll talk to you all real soon.